welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here with an album review for you this time. We're covering the soundtrack from the movie Heat. Yes, the movie with Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, uh, just a, an incredible cast. Danny Trejo, Tom Sizemore, uh, you name it, Ashley Judd. Uh, just a, a cavalcade of talent in this film. And I have to say, from from a writing standpoint and uh, editing, because I, I don't know the difference between what was on the page versus what the final edit was, flawless movie. I really can't find anything wrong with it. And um, I've seen it a bunch of times, and I don't try to look for things, but I'm one of those people that will just catch things from time to time. And um, I I got nothing. Nothing. I'll have to watch. Uh, I'll have to look and see if there's a cinema sins for this one to see if there's something that I've missed. But I think it's a pretty flawless film. And uh, even if there are flaws, they're so infinitesimal that I haven't noticed them. I've probably seen the film 30 times. I mean, it's just incredible. I don't just sit there and watch it. Of course, I just have it on while I'm doing other things. But um, there's so many layers, so many levels, so many relationships. Uh, just, just absolutely incredible. And uh, now that I have given up my car because I'm just not going to fix it anymore and I have to walk across the airport to, well, not across the airport, but I, I live at the edge of the airport. So I have to walk across um, the fencing to the airport to go to the grocery store. And it's kind of funny because now every time I do it, I think of the ending of this movie and I don't want to spoil anything, but it takes place, um, the ending of it takes place at, at an airport and um, I just I just think of that every time I walk by there. So it's kind of fun. And uh, I happen to be in the uh, like as I walking forward, jets cross above me. So it's you know, I kind of get that landing strip angle on it on it. Um, so it's pretty cool. But anyway, uh, the soundtrack is absolutely fantastic. I, I love it. It's very eclectic. There's a lot of different people involved, which is pretty cool. And um I just I just find it a, a fascinating accompaniment. So I swore to myself I was going to go through this film and figure out where in the film all of these songs are, because you can't always tell by title. <laughs> I got to the second song. Like, I have no idea where this is. I, it's, it doesn't seem to be in order. I can't figure out what the um, what the placement is on like half of these. So I don't care. I, I'm just going to go back to the way that I normally do it for now. Maybe with the next one, I'll be able to hone in a little more on time codes for you guys. But uh, let's get right into it. What do you say? The first one, the title track is called Heat. Oh, I know. And this is the album version. And this is credited to the Kronos Quartet.
So this is definitely the opening credit music. And we see just kind of the, the scene being set for the movie. Um, you get a little bit of the Chris Hurlis character going to buy the explosives for what they're about to do, uh, doing it under the guise of being a construction company. But it's just, it's so moody and brilliant. I, I think it's a perfect opener. And you really feel a sense of things are not right. Things are not going to be right for a while. And uh, it's just, I I don't think they could have picked a piece. Well, I mean, I suppose they could have, but but the piece that they picked, this piece right here, absolutely perfect for the opening. Sets a great tone for the film and really just kind of sets up the score too, which is nice, especially considering it's, it's somewhat eclectic. I mean, the main composer, of course, was Elliot Goldenthal. But you have a lot of uh, licensed music here as well. So I don't know um, in this case how that all came to be. Maybe he didn't have time to write everything and they had to do some outside stuff. Maybe he said, hey, it would be really fun to get all these people involved. I have no idea what the negotiation or the contract or anything was. All I know is at the end of the day, here's what we have. And um, I think it's a it's a killer opening track. It's just tones, right? And it just sets the mood. It really is beautiful selection of tones, but it does get a little heavier later. There's some distorted guitars that come in and stuff, but that's later on in the song, which really kind of fits the scene. So I wonder if they were given the scene and asked to write a piece of music to it because it does fit pretty well. But then you can also edit to the music. You can say, hey, I want the first minute and 13 seconds to be this. And then I want this to come in at minute and 14. I want the drums to come in at a minute and 22. And you can arrange all of that outside of the film. If you give them those specifics and then they just pop it in, they fine tune the editing to work with the music and you're good to go. So uh, I don't have any background. I wasn't able to find anything as far as how this all came together. And you typically wouldn't. I mean, that information is, is post-production is not very glamorous, And unless you get interviews with the people that were involved in it, you typically don't hear much about it at all. And usually the interviews are like, you know, Hans Zimmer. So um, it's a fairly, you know, unknown or or I don't want to say underground, but just kind of, yeah, I guess unknown would be the right word. Um, A world that that we live in and uh, something that I've always enjoyed doing. Um, There's a real beauty to putting music to, to picture and seeing how much it changes. Because when you get it, there's just nothing. I mean, there's, there's nothing. And, and you could sit there and go, yeah, I'd probably write something like this as you're watching Star Wars or Gladiator or whatever your favorite films are. But let me tell you, when you get a film that has nothing in it and there is no guide where you can agree to anything, it's all on you. And it's a different feeling. It really is. But anyway, yeah, really killer piece. So let's move on to our second track. This is called always for for always forever now and it is by passengers i don't know how many passengers but passengers
I was really surprised I couldn't find this in the film. And um, I, I I know it's in there. I know it is, but I just was not able to, to locate it by kind of just, you know, spotting through the film. Um, a lot of times, too, soundtrack music is very low in volume. So it's not um, it's not really meant to be heard as much as it is meant to be felt. It's just designed to create whatever the mood or emotion is and enhance what's there instead of dominating it. If it's meant to dominate it, it will. And you will notice. It. Think about cues like, um, you know, the the shark music for Jaws. That music is specifically meant to be upfront and a trigger for your expectations. But most film music is incidental and it's usually just underlying behind everything else. And that's why they call it underscore as opposed to, um, you know, like popular songs that are put in movies or or whatever. Um, this is probably, you know, a scene where there's some kind of action going on. Maybe there's a chase or they're looking for something or, you know, um, they needed some kind of music to make the movement for it to keep it interesting other than just the sound of footsteps. But it's probably very low in volume. So you're really getting just like the feel of the beat more than actually hearing what's going on. There's actually vocals later on in this song. Um, there's a little bit of a buildup. Um, it's actually a really cool piece of music. And I, I really dig the groove to it. But um, yeah, couldn't find it in the film. Um, really cool piece. though. I, I have to say that it's definitely one worth listening to. If you like soundtrack music, um, this is a good one. It's, uh, you know, almost seven minutes. So I don't know how much of it was actually used in the film. It might have only been 10 seconds. But on the soundtrack, it's six minutes and 54 seconds. That's a lot of cool groove, I have to say. Our next one is called Condensers. And this is written by our composer, Elliot Goldenthal. This guitar will be a theme throughout the film. Um, I don't know how much, like what parts of the film are on the soundtrack versus um, just like pieces they added or might just be, like I said, three or four seconds of a piece of music and we get seven minutes of it on on the album. Um, But this is another really cool moody piece. I love that guitar theme. It really kind of makes me feel alone and isolated which I think is, is the intent. Um, I'm going to guess that this is probably behind some of something that Neil's doing where he's alone and just kind of showing that, um, you know, I, I have to be ready to walk out on anything when the heat comes around the corner that he talks about later. But 
this is a just a beautiful piece of music and I love the guitar tones. It's just so emotional and I don't want to say desperate, but maybe trying to convince itself that it's not lonely. That's what I get from it anyway. But a really, really cool um, piece and very moody. I don't know by condensers, I don't know what that relates to. Um, there's a lot of like industrial stuff. It might have been when they were um, when they were doing the first job that um, Al Pacino's character was doing the surveillance on that they ran away from. I think that's later in the film. But again, I, I don't know if these are in order. So I'm just going to take it as the music it is. And I'll say it's quite beautiful. Um, the next one, though, I do know where it is in the film. There is a scene at the oil refinery. First, you have the bad guys and they're um, sort of baiting the police officers. And then you have the police officers going back to that site because they were doing surveillance. And then the police officers are now out there trying to figure out what they're talking about. And the bad guys are now doing surveillance on the cops. It's a really interesting twist, very intelligent um, plot and um, did not see that coming. But um, of course, Al Pacino's character does. Because why wouldn't he? He's Al Pacino. Um, but I think this was done at that, uh, and it's called Oil Refinery, and this one is by the Kronos Quartet. What an awesome build, really. I mean, that is just so brilliantly done. It starts off so simple, right? And then it's just a slow, subtle burn. And uh, yeah, really cool piece. And it's it's got just enough intensity, but not like it doesn't have to get crazy to make you feel the intensity of it, which is awesome. I love that style of writing. Um, I do, as much as I love the sound of strings, that's one thing I have to say about watching movies, especially action movies, because um, I, I do enjoy action films. And it's just like, there's so many strings in movies now. There's so many other choices, so many different things that you can do. But yeah, definitely a lot of strings. And that does get a little bit old uh, to me. Uh, but you know, that's just me. So um, yeah, killer piece of music. And that is Refinery. So now we're going to go to our fifth track on the album. And there's 21, by the way. And I've got an alternate that I'm going to play of our final piece of music, which is a piece of music I absolutely happen to love. Um, but this one is called Last Night, N-I-T-E. And this is, I have no idea how to pronounce this, so I'm sure I'm going to butcher it. But Terry Ripdahl and the Chasers, I think is how you say it. Apologies to 
that person if I'm wrong. But, you know, I am not a linguistics expert. Um, sometimes I'm happy I can spell. So uh, here is a little bit of last night. think um well i think because it's guitar it's probably a theme for neil and um neil of course is played by robert de niro neil mccauley and uh i want to say this is after he and Edie hook up the uh maybe when they're out overlooking the ocean he's telling her him her about the uh iridescent algae I'm pretty sure it's something related to the two of them, but it's a really cool piece. Again, it's kind of um, kind of moody, and uh, I really love the guitar sound. Um, I don't know why, but I associate that with like a Hawaiian electric distorted guitar for some reason. Maybe it's the style of playing, but um, it just has a really cool feel to it. And then on top of the moody um, synth pads that I really like, and, and the percussion is really intriguing too. It's kind of like... Um, he's wanting to let go of the being alone thing. Like he's seeing some possibility, you know, he's been to dinner with his friends. He's watching all of them and he's the only one that's by himself. And he calls her up. I think it might even be that scene. Um, when they're at, uh, when they're under surveillance at dinner, um, and he goes off to call her, I think it might be some, something related to that in the film, but in any case, um, it's, it's so, like, I want to let go, but I'm afraid to let go. And I love that music can bring that out. You know, it just enhances the visual of what we're seeing in the film so beautifully. Um, that's what film scoring is all about, though. It really is. And I've said before, you know, I used to, when I first started doing it, and I would do spotting sessions with directors, or they would just, you know, talk to me in general about the film and like, well, I really like hard rock, or I really like this, or I really like that. I'm like, that's great. What are we doing with the film? You know, because if you're just inserting your personal taste into the film, then the film has to be designed for that. If you're doing a an 80s film and you love 80s music, great. You can slip 80s music in there or 80s style music um, that I could write for the score, for example, all day long. And that's perfectly fine. But if you're going to tell me something like I'm doing a horror film and I really love industrial music, but the film doesn't really lend itself to industrial music, you're going to have a problem. And I had a film like that and I ended up not doing it specifically because the, um, the director was just so set on that. And I really didn't feel like that score 
would work for the film. And when the film came out, he had an industrial score in it. And let me tell you, I really I stick to my guns on this one. I do not think it worked at all. And I don't think that's my ego saying just, you know, say it so that you're still right. I, I really don't think so. I really honestly think that the score just did not work for the film. Part of it was it was mixed into the film terribly, and that never helps a score. Um, but I just I just think feel-wise, it, it didn't work at all. I think you could have done something a lot darker and deeper and with some intensity that would not have been orchestral, um, that really could have worked and brought out the the film, because I think it had the potential. But when I saw it, yeah, I just, it really didn't. And I tried as best I could to watch it with an open mind, and I honestly hope that I did because uh, otherwise I'm just I'm just riding on an ego trip that, no, I was right. No matter what I saw, it wasn't going to work. I, I really don't think I did. Um, if I did, I apologize, because but I would have no way of doing. Um, but yeah, so I, I love this piece. It's just so moody and uh, yeah, really, uh, really one that I can dig into. It's my kind of music. So we're going to go to our next one. I believe it is called Ultramarine, and this is by Michael Brook. Very eclectic track or very eclectic score here. Yeah, this is just a, an absolute winner for me, I have to say. Um, I love the the rhythmic feel to it. And I know a lot of that is done with delays, but um, I'm pretty sure that it's it's all on guitar. There's some pads that come in later on. But um, there's a really interesting, um, it's, it's kind of action, but it's also not at the same time. Um, it's not a like a grinding or pounding or rushing or, you know, feeling like people are chasing each other, running around or whatever, but it's got an action to it. And I really like that. Um, I think it's got some warm tones to it, which is really kind of weird. It's not what I would expect for this. So I'm going to have to see if I can find exactly where this is because I, I don't know, but it's, uh, it's really cool. Yeah. I really like it. Um, it's almost kind of inspirational, isn't it? Um, especially when the, when the pads kick in there and, and it just kind of warms up even more. Um, Definitely, I, I, I'm kind of envisioning like early morning and you're just looking at a hill, like a, a commercial in a commercial. And it's like early morning and you're looking at a hill. Maybe there's a road, maybe there isn't. And just like all of a sudden cresting the hill, you see these little flags and it's just like a bunch of kids on bikes and just like some, you know, energetic, uh, inspirational thing. And um, I don't know why I'm getting that that visual, but that's what I get with this piece of music. Uh, it's really cool. It also would have worked on the um, Pain and Gain soundtrack that Steve Jablonski did. I haven't talked about that one yet, 
I uh, don't know if I'll cover it because I'm not at all familiar with the movie. I've seen it once. I, it, it wasn't my kind of film, um, but the soundtrack is fantastic. So uh, who knows? Maybe I'll do that one at some point. But um, yeah, it definitely would have fit on that. Um, hmm, interesting. Very, very cool track. Our next track is called Armenia. And uh, I cannot even come up with a way to pronounce the artist's name. So I'm just going to say it's track seven. The percussion at the beginning, I'm not familiar with, but I, I know this piece is in the film. I'm trying to remember where it is. It might be when they're at the diner dealing with Wayne Grow, or maybe outside when they're dealing with Wayne Grow. Um, I think it's around there somewhere because uh, it's pretty intense. Uh, but man, those, those strings are incredible. I love the feeling of that. It's just... They're kind of wavering and really uncomfortable. And it's perfect underscore music for for a lot of different kind of scenes. But, uh, oh man, and it's just mixed beautifully too. The whole, the whole album, I have to say, is mixed very, very well. Um, but yeah, very cool piece. It goes on. There's like some really creepy whispering in it, which um, <laughs> is really uncomfortable. But uh, a pretty awesome piece of music. I'm going to have to to check that one out a couple times and uh, really get into how they kind of made the strings just feel so, you know, like uh, just, you know, back and forth in the wind. Uh, really, really dig that. Um, but our next track, we're back to our composer, Elliot. And, you know, it's interesting because he wrote maybe half of the tracks on this album which is pretty weird. I mean, if you would see that mostly if you're licensing a lot of like popular songs that the composer would, wouldn't be doing um, as much underscore because you're, you've got popular songs layered in or he just did not have the time. So I'm, I'm really going to go with that was probably what happened here. He, he was high in demand at the time for sure. And um, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he only, did part of it, or maybe they were trying to do something eclectic and it didn't work and they brought him in to fix it. I, I don't know, but, uh, either way, yeah, he wrote about half the score, which is, um, pretty interesting. So he wrote this one though. It is called of helplessness.
I am not sure where this is at in the film. And of course, the title is no help whatsoever. But what a beautiful piece. Um, I love the strings. I love the emotion of it. It's really sad and and not gut-wrenching sad, but just it it, it kind of rides that line. It's it's not quite crossing it for me, but it does definitely feel um very uh very introspective, maybe, and and not happy with what you're seeing. But uh, it does get a little more intense as it goes on. I think, I, I mean, I'm hearing mostly springs, but I think I'm hearing a little, uh, maybe trombone or French horn in there, um, layered very, very subtly. But um, yeah, I love the emotion of that. And this is the kind of stuff that you get in film scoring. Yeah, you know, I, I would say, you know, 70 to 75% of the stuff that I wrote for film was stuff like that, you know, really just pure emotion, whatever that emotion might be. And I love writing that stuff. I can do that all day long. Um, sometimes you get lost in the piece and you lose the element of the film. You know, like you're just, you, you've got your time. You're not watching the film unless, like usually what I'll do is I will, um, you know, I'll mark where it needs to start and stop. And then I'll mark any certain um, visual cues that I need to represent. Like um, if there's a cue for, let's say, uh, pulling a pen out of out of somebody's pocket, like their breast pocket. Um, if I need a cue for that, I'll put a marker there and I will, um, you know, know that I need to uh, place some sort of sound in there for that. But after I've got everything marked and, um, and I've got my tempo map, basically I don't need to film anymore. Um, sometimes I'll watch it or I'll, I'll turn it on every once in a while, but for the most part, I really don't need to film. So, uh, as you're writing, you can sometimes just get so into the piece that you forget the film. And then the next thing you know, you've turned the piece into something beyond what the film needs, or you didn't develop it enough for what the film needs because you've gotten lost in the piece. So it's a good idea to, you know, check it against the film every once in a while. Um, that was something I wish I'd have figured out earlier on. I think it would have saved me a lot of hassle, but um, I got some other pieces of music out of it that I was like, you know, I really like this the way it is. So I'm not going to use this for the film. I'll save it for something else. And then I would rewrite something else for the film. And uh, a lot of those are just sitting in my um, unfinished music box, box, music box. That sounds weird. Folder. And um, maybe someday I'll get to them. Maybe I won't. Who knows? Um, I think once I'm done with this podcast, it'll be a lot easier to get back to writing as much as I used to. Um, I used to write a lot. And between this podcast and the Aerosmith podcast and everything else, um, it's, it's been really busy the last, you know, three years or so. So, um, I'm definitely looking forward to get back to writing music, but I'm still enjoying doing the show. So while I've got a couple more years, we'll just, you know, keep going back and forth between those. But yeah, very, very cool piece. Um, I, I love the, the mood and the emotion of it. Um, moving on to track number nine, this is called Steel Cello Lament and it's by Elliot. Golden Thaw.
Yeah, very nice effects on that cello. I love that just oscillating background, that wah, 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 wah. Really hypnotizing. And uh, very, very good. Um, very beautiful piece of music. Again, lots of emotion in it. Um, I'm feeling that that sense of isolation again, which is cool. Um, maybe a little bit of sadness or just a general melancholy feeling. But this is, I mean, this is soundtrack music, guys. Uh, very, very beautifully done. You're not going to get riffs and beats and, and things like that. No killer guitar solos or something. I mean, soundtrack music is really its own type of thing. And uh, they're doing a great job with this one. I absolutely love it. Um, our next song is called Mystery Man. And this one is uh, another track. Uh, this one by himself. Uh, our uh, Terje Ride. Rip, oh, it's Ripdoll. Terje Ripdoll, I believe, is the pronunciation or the one I'm going with for the moment. <laughs> This is another uh, guitar theme one. So I'm pretty sure this is Neil and Edie's uh, one of their pieces. In fact, I think this is the one where they're looking out and he's talking about the iridescent algae. Um, it's nighttime and and they're looking out over the water, I think. Because um, the guitars that come in much later uh, definitely remind me of that scene. It's again, that sort of Hawaiian style guitar. Um, but beautiful. I love that, that, um, what sounds like they're blowing into a bottle is, is more like a, uh, it's called a synchif and it's a, a type of uh, synthesizer sound and, uh, it's really gentle, really subtle, but, um, defining the music, which I like, uh, love the background, love the mood, um, just an excellent piece of music. So, um, yeah, a, another great background. And now we're going to move to our first appearance of the composer Moby, who did a song for this one called, well, I shouldn't say he did it for this one because I don't know. It could be songs that these people already had and they licensed them, but um, I don't know. That, that's a tough choice. Um, this is called New Dawn Fades.
this is a cool piece. And this is not the same type of guitar that we get for Neil's theme. But what we've got here is this freeway meetup between Al Pacino's character and Robert De Niro's character. And they're going to go have some coffee. But this is the freeway, um, you know, um, Pacino catching up to De Niro and the music that they played during that. Really cool piece. Moby did a great job on this. I really need to check out more of his stuff. And we're going to talk about him more later. But I will say the stuff that I've heard from him, I really, really dig. But again, like for some reason, I've just never really dug into his catalog before. So I might have to might have to do that at some point. Maybe just pick a soundtrack or something and um, and do it on the show. Who knows? You guys know how I get. I'll just pick something at random and do it because it popped into my head and that's how I operate. But this is a really cool song. Really love the, the guitar on it. Really love that crunchy sound that we're getting. But the synth in the background that's slightly delayed from the guitar, super cool. I really like that. And that just could be the sound itself. Because like a lot of times with keyboard strings, they have a little bit um, the attack's not right at the beginning. You know, it has to kind of warm into the attack a little bit. So they sound like they're delayed because of that. Even if you hit the key exactly on the right note, exactly the right beat, um, it can still sound delayed depending on the type of sound that you're using. And that's one of the challenges with picking your sounds as a keyboard player. Uh, you have to think about not just what the sound is and how it's going to sound with the song, but also how it will affect things. Like if it has a slower start, then it's going to sound delayed, or maybe you have to shift it over so that it actually plays when you want it to. Lots of things to consider when you're choosing sounds for a song. But in any case, Moby did such a great job on this. Love the overall feel of it. Very powerful, killer guitar sound. And that will bring us on to our next song, this one. I know exactly where it is because it's called Entrada and Shootout. So this would be the bank heist. Oh, I should probably tell you who it's written by uh, because I've been doing that. This is Elliot Goldenthal. We're back to our film composer. As a hell of a buildup. I love that. Um, I think there's another piece in between there because I remember during the the bank heist itself, I think there was a percussion piece in there. And um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but but I don't think this was part of that. This might have been, this must be after they came out of the bank when the actual shootout was happening in the street because most of it's buried in gunfire. Um, but I love the intensity of it. Very, very cool. Elliot did such a great job with this piece. Um, it is the, it, it's great tension and it goes on like this for a little while, but I love those hard hits. This 
really cool. I'm trying to remember what song I did that on. If it was, I think it was factory. I want to say factory. And I had that sort of sound in there. Um, it really is a powerful thing. And then on top of those, um, you know, really intense guitar sounds, really, really cool stuff. I have to say great job. Really like that one. Um, it is, it is pretty short though. It's only a minute and 45. So, you know, as, as when you're writing music for film, you don't often, sometimes you do, but you don't often write really beyond what the scene needs by the time, you know, maybe you're, if you're going to fade it out, you'll give it maybe an extra 15 or 20 seconds that you'll write beyond where it fades. Um, just in case they decide to re-edit the scene and you need more space, but for the most part, yeah, you're you're pretty much going to just fill in where you need to fill in and not too much beyond it. Now, if you're writing a song that you intend on releasing, say, as a single, and you're putting it in a film uh, and you know it has that potential, then you'll probably write the whole song and just use that snippet in the film. And then uh, and a lot of times, especially if there's lyrics, a lot of times they'll need a version without the lyrics and then maybe they'll need the lyric track separately so that they can decide where to blend in lyrics or not. But lyrics are very tricky in films, depending on the scene, you kind of have to work around it because you don't want lyrics underneath the dialogue. It clouds the dialogue. It can be very confusing. So a lot of times you'll just hear instrumental sections of songs where you would normally hear vocals just because of that conflict. So, um, but anyway, uh, in any case, this one's really cool. I really love the feel of it. Um, it really amplifies the intensity of what's going on on the street. Unfortunately, like I said, there is so much gunfire and they really worked hard to make that, make you feel like you were there, make it really loud and heavy in the mix and not clipping and, and, you know, causing distortion or popping or anything. They did an amazing job with the sound design in this movie. Uh, absolutely. And I know that, um, they really worked hard on those scenes too. They went to like, um, I don't know what you call them. It's, it's not like a training ground, but uh, well, maybe it is like a, a gun range or something, but where they could walk around and use these kinds of guns and get a, get a sense of how loud it should be and what it would really be like. And they, it was a pretty extensive thing from what I, I read. I think it was an interview with the director or the producer. I can't remember now, but um, yeah, they put a lot of effort into that scene, which I, I greatly appreciate. And I have to say, I mean, I've never been in a shootout like that, so I don't know exactly what they're like. And I suppose each one's pretty individual, but I, I don't know how it would be any more realistic than what they showed other than being there um, and really having like that actual adrenaline and fear and terror and everything all at the same time. Um, really, really cool, though. Really cool. I dig that song. Our next track is also written. Actually, the next few tracks are written by Elliot uh, Goldenthal, and this one is called Force Marker. Thank you. 
okay, this is definitely out of sequence now because if I'm right about the last part, which is when they're actually having the shootout, this is when they're robbing the bank, which is before the shootout because you wouldn't have the shootout and then go rob the bank. That makes no sense unless you've killed everyone and you just go into the bank. That, that would be one thing, but not the case here. Um, and certainly you'd be alerting everybody to where you're at. So kind of a dumb move. But this, I'm pretty sure, is the music that they were playing when the bank was being robbed. So that being the case, this should have come before the last piece in the chronology of the song or of the album. So I don't know why you would have a soundtrack album out of order. I don't, maybe it was just an oversight. Um, maybe they just threw the tracks on here and was like, oh, this works better after that and didn't really think about matching the film, which I don't know. I mean, for me, I would want the soundtrack to match the order of the film. I don't know why you would want it any other way. But in any case, we have what we have, and that's all that matters. And uh, that that point is going to be proven when we get to the next song. But let's talk about this one. So I said it was kind of percussive, right, when they robbed the bank, and here it is. Um, it is monotonous, though. I will say the song is three minutes and 37 seconds, and it doesn't change a whole lot. It's pretty much what you heard. And that's because they had a long time to cover in the film. So um, why there weren't more dynamics in that introduced, I don't know. It is a, it is not as much of a background piece as some of the others because there's not really a lot of dialogue or anything going on. It's mainly visual. So in that point, the music's going to be carrying the scene um, since you have you don't have a lot of talking or anything. And specifically, they weren't talking. They had their plan. They have their signals, all that. They know what they're doing. They're going to go in and do it. The le- the the least amount they can give the people in the bank because they had no intention of hurting people. They didn't bring Wayne Grill, so no one died. But they, you know, the more that you do, the more clues that you give or, you know, things that people can recall in their memory to help identify you. So you definitely don't want to talk. And they didn't. So they were very, they knew what they were doing. They had it planned to the T going in there. So um, the music really has to carry the scene. And that being the case, God, I didn't realize and it's probably because of the visual distraction. And I don't, I'd have to clock how much they actually play in the film, but this is freaking monotonous. Three minutes and 37 seconds of that is just, it's way too much without changes or something somewhere, you know, add things, remove things, do something to it to make it more interesting. Uh, but in any case, the part itself is very cool. I love that low sound that just that boom, boom that you hear in there. Um, that really adds a flavor to it. But again, it's like all the time. So it's, you know, if you if you did it like here and there and just kind of randomly would be interesting because you wouldn't it wouldn't be a pattern. You wouldn't know what to follow or when to expect it. Um, and I think that would be as haphazard as, as typically a bank robbery would be. But again, these guys were like to the T knew what they were doing. So everything should work like clockwork. Right. If you were to have the music not be regulated but the visual be regulated. Like they, they know what they're doing. Everything's going smooth. Uh, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't reconcile unless you were doing it in a predictive manner, like to let the audience know, Hey, yeah, things are looking good right now, but just, just hang on a second. Cause it's about to go South. That would be one strategy that you could use as a composer to clue people in on the fact that this isn't good. I think you kind of get the gist of that. I don't remember exactly the timing of everything, but I mean, you, you've got the police are on their way. Al Pacino's running down the street with his shotgun and uh, he he's, you know, he's ready for battle. So um, you get the gist that it's about to go south visually. But if you really wanted to play that up, you could do 
like a certain sound that just appears randomly or a certain effect that just comes in and out here and there, but not on the beat um, would, would be a, a great subconscious way of, of bringing that out. Um, but it's a cool piece, but like I said, three minutes and 37 seconds of that without any massive changes is, um, just fucking monotonous. Uh, but going back to the chronology I was talking about and why I was saying that this next song really throws things off. Our next song is called coffee shop. And I'm going to guess that this is the music that played while the, uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro characters are sitting in the coffee shop having coffee because it's called coffee shop. And this should have been two songs ago if it were matching the film. Yeah, this, I don't remember this piece. Um, it's very possible it was playing underneath the coffee conversation. But here's the thing. It's only a minute and 34 seconds. And um, I'm sorry, minute 37. And um, I'm sure the scene was longer than that. There was that that whole back and forth dialogue. That was probably a good three minutes, I want to say, at least. So they could have um, they could have just repeated the piece. That's very possible. If it's underscore, you're probably not going to notice it because certainly you're focused on the conversation. And I really don't know that it needed any kind of, um, you know, musical underscore enhancement, to be honest, because I think just the performances between uh, Vincent and Macaulay, you had such a, a amazing dynamic. You really don't need to add anything to it. However, um, I don't know. It, it might have been. I'll have to go back and check and I probably never will. Our next piece is called Fate Scrapes. I love that title. That's pretty cool. Uh, this is the last sequential one by Elliot Goldenthal. And then we'll get into another very talented composer for our next couple of tracks. But for now, let's check out this one.
Well, it sounds familiar, but I couldn't tell you exactly where that comes from. Um, really nice piece, though. It's got a nice little build coming up uh, just after the part where I cut it off. But, uh, you know, fairly short piece. It's a minute and 34 and um, just has some really nice tones to it. Honestly, I, I really don't know where it is in the film. And since I, I've shown now that we are out of sequence, I, I really everything would just be guessing uh, unless I specifically know. Um but I really liked it. I think um, it's it's got a cool intrigue to it. I love those kind of tones. You know, I can just sit there and listen to that kind of stuff for hours, to be honest, get lost in my thoughts and just enjoy life. But, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of time for that. But that's OK, because we're going to get to our next track. Our next two tracks actually are. Uh, I didn't realize this composer was on the soundtrack. And I'm really excited to hear what these songs are, because I don't I don't recall the voice anywhere in there. You know her from my reviews of The Insider and Gladiator. This next, the next two tracks are Lisa Gerard, brilliant composer and vocalist. And this one is called La Bas, just L-A-B-A-S. <laughs> So while I'm saying it might all be speculation, I think I actually know where this one goes. I believe this is the point where the police have Charlene and they send her out on the balcony to identify Chris and she waves him off with that subtle move of her hand and he knows that it's over and he can't get to her because they've worked out that signal ahead of time that, you know, basically it's not safe. Don't come up here. And um, I'm pretty sure that this is that music. However, the scene was fairly short um, and it was really emotional, too. I just remember the the pained look in her eye. Ashley Judd really gave an, an amazing performance in this movie, considering how she, little she was in it and how little opportunity she had. She really made the most of it, especially in this particular scene right here. The, the facial expressions are just absolutely incredible between her and Val Kilmer. Um so I'm pretty sure that this is the music that was being played at that point. However, it's just a small piece of what this song really is. The song itself is three minutes and 10 seconds. It does actually have vocals in it, but we would never get to that in the movie. Um, I don't know, though, that I would have recognized this as Lisa Gerard. It's a little bit throatier and a little bit deeper than normal. It's also she's not doing any like long tone singing. Uh, so it's it's not like I wouldn't necessarily recognize it as hers. I, I may have only because it was associated with a film. I may have gone, hey, was that Lisa Gerard? Very possible I might have done that. Um, and again, this might not have been a piece that was written specifically for this film either. It could be something that she had 
laying around. Maybe it was something that she wrote for Dead Can Dance that they just didn't use. Maybe it was just something that she was sketching and says, hey, I think that thing I was working on might work for your film. Let me finish it up and send it over. Who knows? With a soundtrack that's this eclectic, uh, as far as the writers, um, it's really hard to tell. But it's not uncommon for people to say, oh, I think I have a piece that might fit that. And then the, the soundtrack is somewhat cobbled together, especially when you have so many different people working on it. It's more likely that they submitted music than wrote it specifically for a scene. Although they might have had that chance, the director might have said, hey, you know what, I've got these two scenes that I don't have any music for. If you're interested in working on them, I can tell you what they are. And they don't necessarily need to match up to timing because there's no visual cue that needs to have the music work with it. Like when somebody's facial expression changes and the music drops, that kind of thing. So there may not have been any time restrictions given. He might have just said, give me a piece that's like two, three minutes long. I'm looking for this mood. And she's like, hey, I think I got something and send it over. That's not uncommon in in film. So whereas you go to see the film, you're like, wow, they did a brilliant job with this score. If you have one composer, probably. Um, but when they slip in little songs like this, like I've been brought on as an additional composer before where I wasn't, um, maybe I didn't know the director. Maybe they had already you know, had someone in mind when we met or um, I just wasn't selected for that film. And then they've come to me and gone, hey, could you write me a couple of pieces for this? I need to... You know, that's how I got my very first film that I, I wrote music for. It wasn't the first one I scored a picture, but it was um, it was the first film I worked on called The Domain, directed by Paul Emmys. And he just needed, uh, originally he just needed one piece and I wrote that and then he liked what I wrote and then he asked me to do another one. And so I think, I can't remember now if I had more than just the two pieces in that film. I think I might have, I think I might have done like three or four, but uh, in any case, that's not uncommon. Your composer that you were working with, let's say it's, you know, three months down the line, they're done with the project, you're editing it. Maybe they're not available to write another piece. So you have to go find somebody else um, unless they can maybe like if they're on a project or, you know, they're in the middle of something or whatever, and they might not be freed up. Then you have to find somebody else to supplement the score for the scenes that I was doing. It was like club scenes and restaurant scenes. So it was really background music and didn't need to adhere to any rules from the underscore because it was just incidental stuff that would like be playing on the intercom system or, you know, at the club, you know, whatever the DJ is spinning at the time. So um, you could do that kind of stuff very easily outside of needing the actual film or even hearing a note of the original score, because it really doesn't matter. You're, you're just working for that specific, uh, what would be a real life situation. Uh, but I'm now really curious to hear the other track that Lisa Gerard has on here. This is called Gloradin. Why? I have no idea what it relates to. Not a clue, but that's what we're listening to. Here it is. Oh, 
This is very much a Lisa Gerard type track. And uh, I think this would have fit well in Gladiator, to be honest. And, and it could be something that was written for Gladiator and uh, not used for that film or or something that's, you know, uh, uh, Hans said, I think he's got like three hours of music he wrote for Gladiator that didn't go into the film. So, I mean, God, the score he already had, I would love to hear it. What's that? Oh, I'd love to hear that. Uh, but in any case, this could be uh, something, again, for Dead Can Dance. It's got such a weird title. It doesn't label any scene, um, nothing at all related to the film. So this is probably, again, something that she had sitting around and said, hey, if you want to use this, I think this could work for you. Or, you know, check this piece out and tell me what you think kind of thing. Um, in any case, it's a cool piece. It's three minutes and 10 seconds, which is really, wait, is that right? now? Three minutes and 56 seconds. I'm sorry, I was thinking of the last song. And that is a long time, uh, definitely way too long for just writing a cue for a film. So this has got to be a song that was already done or in the works and finished for the film. But in any case, it's really cool. It's a really strange singing tone, even for her. It feels just a little, um, I don't know if lower in pitch is really the right term, but there's something about it that's just a slight variation on what I'm used to hearing her sound like. And I really like it. Uh, I think it's a cool piece. Definitely. I, I would love to know what it is in the context of the film, uh, but I don't. If I ever find it, then I'll, well, then I'll know. So for her next song, we are back with Elliot. He's written the song Run Uphill uh, by title. I'm going to predict, because I haven't listened to it yet. I'm going to predict that this is a guitar track with that, um, you know, isolating feeling guitar again. I think this is when Edie finds out that Neil was involved in the bank robbery and that he's a criminal and she tries to get away and he chases her up the hill. I'm, I'm guessing that purely on title alone. Also, it's an Elliot track, so it might go back to that underscore uh, type soundtrack again. Let's find out. So here's some fun for you. Nope, that was not the music that was played during the scene when they run up the hill. Um, I, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. This could have been one that was submitted and not used, but they agreed to put it on the soundtrack. Maybe they'd already paid a fee for it or whatever. And they're like, well, we might as well throw it on there and uh, make some royalties on. I don't know. I have no idea what's going on anymore because um, <laughs> nothing is making sense with this soundtrack. Um, I did double check the film on a couple points. So the um, the shootout, uh, I was right. The new Dawn fades, I was right, which was the uh, car chase. 
And then um, Coffee Shop was interesting because the majority of the scene did not have music. It wasn't until almost the very end that the music was so subtle. I mean, it was incredibly faint in the mix. And I'm listening through studio headphones, so I can pick up a lot of delicate balances. And let me tell you, this was incredibly quiet. Probably wasn't even noticeable for most people. Um, the music with uh, Charlene waving off Chris, that music uh, kicked in after she waved him off not leading up to it. That was a different piece. So yeah, a lot of, lot of crazy um, things. None of this is really matching up to the soundtrack, um, which is fine because the, the soundtrack is enjoyable on its own. It does not need the movie to carry it as far as I'm concerned. It's not a bunch of songs that you could listen to. It's really something that you could have on and just enjoy, I would say. Um, even for a soundtrack buff, there's just a lot of long pieces in here where they just needed short clips for the film. And um, so we're getting down to our last few songs. This next one is called Predator Diorama. What a what a name. So this music covers when Neil goes after Wayne Grow on the 17th floor of the hotel near the airport where they say he's, uh, you know, they let it slip that he was being kept and they're doing an incredibly poor job of watching him. And Neil sets off the fire alarm. There's panic. He busts into Wayne Grow's room and all that. But uh, yeah, this is the music that carries on behind that goes a little past where he's trying to escape. But um, I'm not sure exactly where this piece ends in the, the, bit of all this because here's the thing is a lot of this music in this film is so quiet it's basically just removing silence so instead of there being dead silence there's just a slight sound floor above it think of it as a an ankle deep fog that just covers enough of the ground to where you can't really see the ground right same thing. It's just above silence in a lot of spots. And plus, you know, especially here, you've got a lot of stuff going on. You've got the fire alarm. You've got the panicking people. You've got Al Pacino in the helicopter. So you've got the helicopter noise. You've got um, panic outside. I mean, all kinds of things are going on. And then this music is is under it. So there's parts where it's a little bit louder. I think this song was a little bit louder. But, um, you know, throughout the movie, a lot of it just basically replaced the silence, which is probably part of the reason I was having such a hard time finding the music in this film. And uh, I'm just going to go with that because it makes sense and it makes me not look like an idiot. Or does it? I don't know. But let's get to our next track. This is called Of Separation. 
And I would speculate, but you know how this has gone so far. So I'm not going to. But if I were to speculate, I would say this is the music that they play while Neil thinks he's in the clear and he goes to the car. He sees Edie. She sees him. And then he turns and through a panicked crowd of people sees five foot six Al Pacino wearing all black at night, pushing through the crowd towards him. I mean, Neil McCulley has to have miracle eyes. Here is our song. Well, there you have it, folks. I was right. Finally, (laughs) I finally matched up a piece of music to this film before I even heard it. It happened. Um, Okay, so yeah, this is exactly that. It's uh, Neil coming out thinking he's in the clear. He sees Edie, blah, blah. I went over all that a minute ago. Um, Very, very emotional piece of music. And it really does match the film very well. I, I have to say this would be scored to picture most likely. Either that or they really worked hard on exactly what mood they felt would be important here musically, Um, because it really does sum it up. And it feels like it flows with the film very well, too, I have to say. Um, Beautiful piece. You really I mean, your heart just breaks for Edie. But but kind of almost at the same point, like you're really stupid. You know, this guy is not just a, a minor thief. You know, he's not in a little gang that that has a corner. He is a master criminal, this guy. And um, I, I mean, you know, I've seen what love does to people. I don't know that they really spent enough time together to actually get to know each other and fall in love. I, At least not from what the movie showed. And the timeline is pretty strict, I think, in the movie. There's not a lot of time that passes from day to day. Um, it's not like you just suddenly jump weeks into the future. I mean, this whole movie spans probably just a handful of days. So I don't, I don't know. It's, I can't say it's not believable. Part of me wants to say this is the typical Hollywood bullshit of, oh my God, you're so cute. Let me just do everything you ever wanted. And it's ridiculous, but it's a trope that Hollywood tends to have. But I've seen people do so many stupid things over people they barely met that I can't say that this isn't unrealistic. (laughs) I really can't. And that makes me sad that I can sit here in front of this microphone and say that this is actually something that people might do. I I mean, really, I, I, wow. (laughs) She wasn't that unhappy before she met him. And let's, let's remember she was the aggressor in this one. She started a conversation with him. He was like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I keep to myself. I don't need you in my life. 
And then she found that way to break through the connection. And then when she found out who she really was, like, or who he really was, like 47 seconds later, she's like, sure, I'll just run away out of the country with you because, of course, I will. <sighs> People are exasperating. Anyway, musically, though, beautiful scene. And it, but your heart breaks for her. The expression on her face as it's dawning on her that it's over part of her somewhere in her head. I mean, her heart's breaking because she's not going to be with the guy that she met five minutes ago that she thought she was going to spend the rest of her life with. So there's that component. Part of it is probably fear, right? Of what's going to happen to him because he obviously sees something that all of a sudden he has to turn because he was heading towards her. He's, he's happy. He's got the look on his face. We're done. We're getting out of here, babe. Let's go. And then he turns to his right and he sees something and she can't see what he's seeing. He can't even see what he's seeing, but she, she definitely can't. So he backs away. He doesn't want to. You can tell he's so torn, but he knows he doesn't have a choice. So as he's backing away, the look on her face and as she gets out of the car and says nothing, just that whole expression. I mean, this is the kind of acting that I really love where you don't have to have dialogue to completely convey emotion. I mean, it's a brilliantly done scene and very well acted, I have to say. Um, I don't know Amy Brenneman that well. I, I can't. I'm sure I've seen her in something else, but I, I couldn't tell you what. But this moment I would say she's an incredible actress, absolutely incredible. And part of that obviously goes to the director. The only reason Vincent even knows where McCulley is, I mean, aside from the fact that they know he's trying to get out of this 17 plus story building is, and I still don't know. And this is one of those things where you just have to accept that somehow he masterminded an escape from this building where they've got all the stairwells and all the elevators covered. The elevators are limited because of the fire alarm. And they probably didn't do the freight elevator, the service like employee elevator. I guess that's how he gets out. That's kind of what you have to assume. Um, oh, these movies always make the police look so stupid. But uh, and they're not, you know, I've known cops in L.A. And I can tell you they're not stupid, at least not the ones that I met. Um, so you you have to take all that aside there's there's a lot of just you know go with it kind of moments in this movie is as perfect as i think it is there are those moments uh, but you're gonna have those uh, but the only reason vincent knows it's macaulay is because he sees her in the car he sees Edie sitting in the car the internal like the internal light must have been on or something because all of a sudden it's very bright in that car and um he sees her, but he knows the car because he was chasing it on the highway. How he saw that car is just as much of a miracle as how McCulley saw Vincent running through that crowd. I, it's really, really incredible. Anyway, this is the long way of me getting to what I wanted to get to, which is the last song. This one is uh, one of the two reasons I bought the soundtrack. I don't remember which the which name of the other song was, but it was one of those guitar songs. It was the one where he and Edie are, are talking about the uh, iridescent algae. I just love that guitar sound. I wanted to learn what the whole piece was and all of that. Um, so that and, and this end piece are the reasons that I bought this. I didn't know this last piece was Moby. I don't think I knew who Moby was at this point, although I was familiar with another one of his pieces that, um, that was featured in the X-Files in Every Given Sunday. 
And, um, but this piece I absolutely love. Um, it's a very Philip Glass style piece and it is called God Moving Over the Face of the Waters. This right here is some of my favorite kind of music. I could just listen to something like this for hours, to be honest. Here's the thing. Uh, it's a beautiful build. It starts out very simple, um, but it, it, it's really in contrast because you've got one melody going up the piano and one melody going down the piano on top of each other. Then you get this part coming in on piano that is, is really a surprise. It's nothing you would normally hear played. It sounds like a child just banging away on the piano, and then it repeats and it starts to make sense. But it's very weird. Like, I don't know how he came up with that. Also, by the way, I should mention the soundtrack does not credit this to Moby. It credits it to singles. And I'm not sure why. I don't, I don't know why it was encoded that way, but it is a Moby piece. And um, also, this version is not the version that was played in the film. I'll play you the difference. It's similar, but I'll play you the difference uh, in a minute. But um, okay, so you've got the um, you know the the countering counterpoint pieces. Then you've got the other you know melody that comes in. Then the strings come in, and these for being long passages are absolutely amazing. They're so emotional, and it's not you know it's not arpeggios. It's not a bunch of notes. It's literally just da da. Very long, smooth notes, but it's got so much power to it. I mean, it's so brilliantly crafted, this piece of music. I absolutely love it. Um, but this version is, that's pretty much the whole thing. It just, it does that at some point, then some parts drop out and then they come back in again. There'll be some percussion, you know, just um, cymbals and, and, and uh, an accent that comes in to uh, boost the cymbal up a little bit. And that's really it. Um, but it's very, very powerful. Uh, absolutely love this piece. It's it's one of my, you know, I, I don't 
normally rank things and all that. I don't like to, but I would say this is one of my all-time favorite pieces of music. Uh, I want to play, though, the uh, alternate part for you so you can hear the difference of what was actually in the film. And to uh, put it in placement, and I know this because I've watched the scene a bunch of times, going back to my walks to the grocery store now where I pass the airport and I was talking about how I see the the you know the lights on the landing strip and all that. That's this scene. This is uh, Vincent and Neil. Uh, Neil is or Neil is being chased by Vincent through the airport, definitely where people aren't supposed to be. And um, you know, you you get the the bright lights of the plane landing, but you you're mainly getting like the runway lights and all that stuff. Um, really, really beautiful scene. Uh, it, it ends the film, and this music is honestly just a great piece to to end the film on i have to say it's it was a very smart choice so here's the uh here's the alternate piece that's uh it actually in the movie Yeah, I love the way that it goes up like that. Um, I think that's really a, a powerful choice. I don't know why that isn't on the soundtrack since that's what they played in the film. I, I really don't get that. But um, yeah, it's a cool part. I love that piece. I love, you know, underneath the strings and you've got the uh, the other strings that are playing a, a little bit more subtly, just that da 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 I really love that. It just adds another layer you know, that uh, gives that song a lot more power. But it's a great soundtrack. I mean, overall, there's a lot of great pieces on here. Um, listening to some of them, like the full versions, they're, they can be, you know, a little bit long. Because again, it's it's underscore music, or like I said, maybe full pieces that were not written for the film that, um, you know, were, were a short chunk of them was used in the film, but then you get... Um, you know, the full song on, on the actual soundtrack. So basically on the soundtrack, you're getting 21 pieces of music, which is really cool. That's a lot. Um, I don't know if this would have been a double album. It might have been. I'm not sure. But in any case, uh, it's out there. And uh, I remember I got this. I got the actual CD. I think I had to, to have to order it. I think I did have to order it. I don't know where that would have been from at the time. I remember I was living in probably in Arizona so I probably would have either gotten it at Zia's or ordered it. Where would I have ordered it from? Maybe Best Buy? I'm not sure. I, I really am not sure. But in any case, uh, get it. It's, it's got some great stuff on there. You've got such a variety of composers, variety of song styles. 
um, some really powerful, heavy hitting pieces of music. Um, I really like it personally. And I hope that you guys enjoyed it too. in the little snippets and it, just seriously, if you want to watch a great action film with multiple layers, lots of emotion and stories going on, it's a lot to keep track of, but the, the main story is, is really, you know, Vincent and Neil and everybody else kind of just plays a part in their world. And also you'll get to see a very young Natalie Portman, which, uh, which was cool. That was a nice surprise too. Uh, I didn't know I knew who she was, I think, when I saw the movie, because I had already seen her in Star Wars, but uh, didn't didn't know she was in the movie. So that was a nice little surprise. In any case, go check it out. Heat, it is currently on Netflix, although I think I saw that it might be leaving Netflix soon. Uh, But, you know, give it a try. Maybe it'll still be around when this comes out. And uh, if not, you can rent it. You can buy it. It's probably on YouTube somewhere, although I always recommend getting artists paid for their work. So rent it or buy it if you don't already have it in your collection. So thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm working on scheduling a couple interviews still, but I don't have anything scheduled as of the day I'm recording this. So uh, next Wednesday's episode, we'll be finishing up the, uh, the review that I did with Corey of the uh, Bon Jovi album. That was a lot of fun. Um, really learned a lot about Young Guns, which was a movie I had only seen like half or three quarters of. I, I, w- I meant to watch it and I still haven't gone back and done that yet because I've been really busy. But um, yeah, I'd like to do that at some point, kind of understand how the, um, you know, the music that we listened to was inspired and what the actual soundtrack is, because um, I'd, I'd be very curious to hear it. But in any case, thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. We will see you either Saturday or Wednesday, but definitely Wednesday. Cheers. (laughs) 